Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage account family therapist here with you. And I have another treat for you this evening as we're going to be, well, I should say, evening, day, whatever, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, but I also want to begin with a classic reminder that this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only, does not constitute working with a licensed mental health professional. Please seek one out in your area to work on your unique issues. So as I was saying, we have a, another unique uh, interview tonight. Uh, this is another one of my Onyx brothers, and actually it was also one of the uh, pledges I oversaw who came to join our organization, but they're many faceted in multiple other areas as well, including work on gay men's health and especially advocation for those of Middle Eastern and North African ancestry as well. So tonight we're talking with Johnny Tomoe. I'm probably going to ask you to have to repronounce that because I always screw up names. Uh, who is an LGBTIQ rights activist and a clinical psychological graduate from Lebanon, Middle East. His career started in sexual health services, provisional, including mental health. He also worked in community behavioral research and has also involved in multiple local initiatives around utilizing drama therapy for community, community health. Or community healing. In 2014, he founded and directed community networks for gay men's health and rights in the Middle East and North American countries, or North African countries, sorry, before moving to the U.S. in 2016. Since then, he's been the senior community mobilizing manager at Impact Global Action for Gay Men's Health and Rights, focusing on partnership building, advocacy, fund mobilization, and sexual health awareness. Johnny, welcome to Untying Knots. Thank you, Perry. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. And even though after all this time, how do you pronounce your last name? Even though we've <laughs> no, you don't this, worry about it. <laughs> this one, because I know how I just seem to screw up everyone's name for, even though I'm trying. No, no, not a problem. Even when I introduced myself, I kind of used an Americanized version of it mm -hmm. because uh, some people find it hard to pronounce Tommy, which is like the huh. is a phonetically, it's hard for those who do not speak certain languages, in my case. It's an Arabic last name, mm -hmm. uh, but basically I just say Tome, uh, huh. and yeah. So. Which also then gets into the aspect of how we've how we're taught to break down words to be able to pronounce them. In many cases, we don't get that education, and I've forgotten some of mine. So <laughs> no problem. So how did you get into all of this? Well, or I should say, how did you get here? I mean, it's definitely been a journey. It's it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a never ending journey. Uh, you know, you, you touched on some of that in the bio, uh, growing up with, in Lebanon and, and I grew up in north of the country in a small mm -hmm. conservative Christian Catholic town. Uh, and you know, I had, a, I had a really happy childhood, great family. Um, my, my internal journey per se started when I started realizing that. Well, now I can I can say that I'm I'm gay or I'm a queer person, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like like all other uh, queer people feeling different and feeling out of place, feeling you're the only one. Uh, 
at a young age that kind of got me reflecting a lot on life. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, I was always surrounded by love. Um, and then, you know, in a, in a way to escape some of that and being brought up Catholic, uh, one of now I now I now I know that one of my ways of dealing with that was I went to a monastery to become um, to become a monk and I stayed there for two years and that's where I got really into this lifestyle of reflection. Given that the mm-hmm. order I joined was very about meditation and not about going out to the public mm-hmm. much. And during that process, I started reading a lot about um, psychology, trying to understand why and, and how I am the way I mm-hmm. am. Uh, funny enough, I was also very interested in, in, in becoming an exorcist. So I started reading a lot about that, which included a lot of psychology also. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, theoretically, exorcists need to be able to differentiate between a psychotic break or, or an actual possession. Um, so all roads led me to like psychology, psychology. Okay. And I left and I, I instantly went and studied psychology. I was the happiest uh, with that. And um, I started doing a little bit of one-on-one type therapy when I worked at the sexual health center, but I found myself more interested in community health mm-hmm. in general. That's when I learned uh, how to do work in research and started working more in community mobilization and, and, and finding my own community, which led me to starting an organization that is part of it is around building community. Mm-hmm. And since I moved here to the US, that has been a big part of my work. Uh, hence my title is community mobilization, um, as well as looking for another local community around kink and, and leather, which is another main part of me. And, and that's where I found um, Onyx and that's how we met. Yes, yes, we did. Yes, uh, as I said, I had the honor of being your pledge master and seeing you through our program to become a full member. Uh, but in that also in that standpoint is like finding that balance between the kink, between being LGBT, being also have an identity in an area that oftentimes is not particularly very welcoming around it. That fills a lot of character, not to mention you've just shown that the sections they don't show in all those exorcist movies about their their psych degrees. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And uh I mean, you know, psychology is a very big, big realm and, and you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about others. Uh, and, you know, I really took a lot of lessons to heart, how to, how to work on myself, how to, how to connect with other people and the importance of community. I mean, if anything, I've learned from learning and working in, in psychology and in therapy is that one of the main things that really could uplift and support people is a community. My thesis when I got my master's was around how social support could come in to the lives of queer people and pull them up out from, from depression or suicidal ideation. And that was kind of, I was, I was looking at these variables uh, and, and community support was one main thing that is a lifesaver. Um, mm. And since, since then, you know, it's always been something important. I love my community and I love to build community for others. And what are you seeing right now where we're sitting with community as a whole? I mean, considering where we are after these last three years and dealing with COVID and then the further years of dealing with certain political powers. Yeah, it's definitely was a big shift and not everyone was able to 
to make that shift into a virtual community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was lucky enough that working in a global organization, a lot of my work is is global, and I, I, I built connection with people all around the world, and we're in touch. And we're mm-hmm. not just colleagues or working together, we become friends because we're, we're activists, we're working on a mission together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was able to, to find my global community and stay connected to it easier, but I was able to see around me that not everyone was able to do that. And it was really hard. And and um, I think all of us trying to find ways to staying in touch with people that we feel they uplift us and uh, and putting an effort into it. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't happen on its own. It's so easy to, to kind of get carried away with your own things and forget about your community. Um, and also being that person for others is very, mm-hmm. you know, realizing that as much as you want someone to support you, someone is out there needing your support. Um, yeah. And how is that translated into what you can share about the work on the global age crisis? Yes. I mean, I mean, going back into the history of HIV uh, and the history of activism within the field of HIV, um, you know, it's funny now I'm, I live in San Francisco where a lot of it started. Uh, it all started with community. I mean, governments and uh, people in power were not willing to do anything about it because the majority of people affected uh, mm-hmm. and life change were from our communities and other communities of people who were vulnerable, you know, sex workers, drug users, trans people. Um, and it took people coming together, forming a community and leading that fight for things to stop changing. And it would not have changed if people didn't come together. So, um, you know, as much as we would like to professionalize activism, which I'm totally for, uh, Mm -hmm. people need to be able to put time into something and, and live by it and get paid and all of that. But, um, I think we lost a little bit of that community sense and, 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 and people just naturally coming together to fight for the cause. I see it more here in the US than I see it globally uh, because the situation definitely is different. The pandemic mm-hmm. is still different. It is still an epidemic on a large scale in a lot of different countries, mm-hmm. especially among our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, infection and incident rate for HIV are not like here. Uh, they're still so going up in some countries and in some regions around the world. Um, and given criminalizing laws and stigma and discrimination, it's harder to build communities to fight that. Um, and that's a big part of what we try to do at my organization, which is to help mobilizing people and building communities, but also providing a safe environment. So while we're working directly with people on the ground on country level um, to build capacities, to learn new skills, to learn how to advocate, to come together as a community, we, in parallel, we work with policymakers and we try to put pressure into enabling the environment around them, the legal environment and the social environment for it to be safer for our communities to, to, to thrive. Because, you know, the goal is not just the absence of HIV. The mm-hmm. goal is the presence of positive sexual health components and values. Se- a big part of sexual health, even by its definition, includes the word pleasure. It's mm-hmm. a pleasurable sexual life. So it's not just the absence of a disease or of a, an infection. It's also the presence of all the positive value of, 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 of sex and pleasure and sexual health. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that we also work on. And that is for IMPAC or IMPAC. And how did that uh, name come up and how can we make that more of a household name for people? 
Well, you know, yeah, Impact is, so the organization started in 2006 and it was, it was a direct response to uh, lack of investment in communities of gay, bisexual men, including trans men. Um, and within the HIV response, and um, it was the International AIDS Conference at the time that happens every two years and gathers people from around the world with different expertise and backgrounds. And that group of people decided to start a global network mm-hmm. of community members and work on these issues. And it was called the Global Forum on MSM and HIV. MSM is a more of a technical term used in, mm-hmm. in the health field for men who have sex with men. Uh, since not everyone who does that self-identify as gay or queer, especially around the world in different countries. Uh, you know, we have to realize this terminology and ideology in a, in a lot of ways is so primarily uh, Western or colonial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have different ways of, of expressing their identities. So um, that was the name. Um, MSMGF was the acronym uh, until we changed it into MPACT, M-P-A-C-T, um, just to move a little bit away from just the health direction, understanding mm-hmm. that people are a full full individual with, with all of their different uh, components and facets as individuals. It's not just about the behavior that they engage in. It's about who they are as individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, M in the name. So it's a play on impact, you know, mm-hmm. having, a, having an impact, not, not impact play. Right. which is something I would love to, <laughs> but, it's a, um, but yeah, it's, it's a play on impact and, and the desire to have an impact on this world. Um, but it's um, uh, for kind of for the MSM reminiscent of that without mm-hmm. saying it. And the pact is really about doing a pact with, with ourselves and with our community to work together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the name is Impact. The full name is Impact um, Global Action on Gay Men's Health and Rights. Um, but our website is, you know, impactglobal.org. Um, uh, people can read more about it and find mm-hmm. out more about the work that we do and how they can support as well. All righty. So what can you say more about the experiences for men of Middle East and North African countries being LGBT in these areas? Again, there is the, there's all the stories that do show up on the news and the ones that don't. What is more about realizing the the real experience and lived experience that's there. Yes. I mean, I can speak to my own and that of people mm-hmm. around me or people who have reached out to me with their stories. Uh, you know, the Middle East and North African region uh, is around 24 countries. Right? So even within one country, the lived experience of queer people is totally different from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a lot of a lot of factors play into it, including, um, you know, class, education, geographical area within that specific country and mm-hmm. uh, you know luck sometimes if you found people that could be around you and, and protect you and uh, you know in 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 the MENA region the way we call it Middle East North Africa MENA region there are you know there are countries that still you could be punished could be punishable by death um, and you and you have countries where it's not very explicit but there are laws that are used to criminalize gay people and all of those laws were uh, colonizers laws they were inherited Mm -hmm. from britain and france mainly who have colonized uh, Mm -hmm. the region in the past so for example in lebanon we're 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 colonized by by france um and we inherited uh, the penal code that says every sex every sexual 
uh, intercourse against nature is punishable by law. So mm. that's how they define. They say it's a, it's a sexual intercourse against nature. Uh, and then it becomes uh, up to, you know, the, the, the law or, or the judge even to mm. apply that on same-sex sexual behavior. Um, and it has been in the past for a long time. Uh, but in the past, I would say, seven to ten years, we've started seeing some judges who are, you know, standing up and saying this does not apply mm-hmm. on gay people because it's gay sex is not unnatural. Um, mm-hmm. And trying to avoid that law bit by bit so it won't be used as much. Um, mm-hmm. But also there are other things that could be used against queer people, you know, uh, public decency laws and, and, and a lot of that. Um, so you can imagine that, you know, you, the once you realize that you're part of this community, you start thinking, oh, I mean, I'm a criminal. And whether you are actively experiencing that, you're always living with that idea in your head. And it has a weight on you, whether you mm-hmm. realize it or not. You know, mm-hmm. living your life, knowing that at any minute things could change for whatever reason. You had a, you know, for whatever political goal, sometimes when some policymakers or, or people in power want to prove a point or want to scapegoat someone if something is going bad, like we've seen it around the world around. COVID, for example, mm-hmm. um, gay people are the first to be like, it's your fault. And religious men be like, this is the fault of gay people. And um, so any minute things could change. Uh, personally, I've had it easy. I've been lucky. Uh, when I was in Lebanon, I was able to come out to my siblings at first and, and my close friends. And I've never had to be closeted in any work that mm-hmm. I did. I mean, from day one, I worked in organizations that were either gay-led or um, were full of gay people just because of the work that we do. I never had to hide who I am. And then I did end up coming out to my parents and they were accepting. And I, they've, my husband and I visit mm-hmm. often and, and they love him. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know that's not the case for a lot of other people. Some people have been kicked out of their house. Some people had to flee the country. Some people were put in jail, were beaten, were discriminated against. So you have all varieties of experiences again it goes back into class it goes back into education it goes back into if you have a community support around mm-hmm. you. Oh. and that's the things that people need to remember when looking at these stories that come out from these other parts of the world yes yes definitely and you know this is uh, when i started working more on the regional level you know i i i started seeing you know, how many different experiences queer people have in the North African region Mm -hmm. and uh, how little protection we have. Uh, And it's such a shame because I know brilliant people had to leave, leave the region. And um, my, my driver was more my heart that took Mm -hmm. me out of Lebanon. I was not running away. As I said, you know, I was, I was was good there, Uh, but I know for a lot of, a lot of other people, they had to run away. And those were brilliant minds. And it's such a mm-hmm. shame because, you know, on a lot of issues and, and you notice it here, you notice it everywhere. Queer people tend to lead the charge, not just on queer issues, on mm-hmm. women issues, on migration issues, on race issues. They're always there at the front because they know what it, they know injustice as well. When we know how much it's not, um, it's not right and it's not just 
to be discriminated against, to be treated less. So we've always there for every cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more queer people have to flee where they live, uh, the less there are people left there to do to lead the fight. Uh, but but you know, again, every person deserves to live safely and to thrive. And mm-hmm. wherever place they find they want to go to, by all means. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And encourage that because uh, we all just want to live. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. So with all of these th- the changes and sh- shifts that you're working with, where do you see the psychology from playing in all of this? And especially in this community building that you're working on now in res- with the support of your organization and others. I mean, it uh, it starts with me personally because I feel my studies and my 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 relation with my colleagues when we were studying the work that we did mm-hmm. all of it together made of me someone who is very comfortable taking the time and really listening to others mm-hmm. and trying to find a solution that works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think applying that on all of the work that I'm doing is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even more so now that I work on a global level and now whether I like it or not, although I'm, you know, 100% Arab, I've lived there for 30 mm-hmm. years. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. only been here for seven years. Um, I do recognize my privilege. I do recognize that my American passport that I have two years now give me privilege. I do realize that living in San Francisco would give me privilege. So when I work with other people, I need to understand where they come from, mm-hmm. uh, even if we share the same background. Uh, psychology really helps me with that. It helps me a lot with community building, with being able to be there for for the people around me the way that I want them to be there for me. Um, and you know, I think it. I think it goes both. I think in order for you to be a successful any type of professional within the psychology world, I think there's the, they had to be some sort of a like prerequisite characteristic in your personality. Mm-hmm. And then the psychology comes and complement it. I mean, studying alone doesn't just do it. You learn mm-hmm. theoretically, but you need to have some of that in your personality. And I think that, you know, that came from my family and my the way I was brought up to be mindful of others, to be empathetic, um, wish no harm to others and try to help whenever you can. So when psychology came, it really complemented that. And you know, from this side of it, it'd be uh, really talking about what's the interpersonal relationship that's going on and recognize it. And it's also key to recognizing when it's lacking and then expecting that there's going to be some sort of sensitive community when there has been no interpersonal relationship whatsoever built. So yeah, and that's where a lot of things drop off. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I feel it's funny because also all of the, everything that we're talking about and we mentioned earlier about, you know, being part of Onyx mm. and it's a kink and leather community, I also see a lot of similarities there. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of the main thing that I've learned in psychology and how I and how I want to manage my regular social relationship or, or, or love relationship, I see mm-hmm. all of that as a main component in a kink uh, mm-hmm. relationship or even within the leather community, you know, the open communication, really going on a journey to learn everything about yourself mm-hmm. and being open to that with others. 
um, and 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 knowing what they are, what they want, and agreeing on that. Which you know, here comes consent, another main component within within kink and, and leather um, and community, mm-hmm. uh, which is another main thing. Um, which is, I think, why I also kind of once I once all of that started coming together, I felt like it's the right thing, it's the right community that I'm part of. Very good. Very good. Well, I think that's a great place for us to take a break there. So one, folks, stay tuned. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Johnny Tommy, age activist. And we'll be have more in our second half. So stay tuned, folks. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. This is Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with you for our second half with Johnny Tommy, uh, licensed to the <laughs> age activist. So one of the things as mentioned earlier, we're both members of Onyx, which is the Leatherman's uh, color, Leatherman of color uh, organization. And one of those things is, again, when we're looking at all of the, shall we say, stereotypes that come up about the idea of middle people of Middle Eastern ancestry, how does the connection between kink and BDSM connect with that area i mean yeah i mean you know there's i wouldn't say there is necessarily like a like an an inherited like connection between between that particular geographical region and king but i think Mm -hmm. it's definitely like it's it's definitely a global experience of people um, Mm -hmm. everywhere around the world and in some cases it's easier to be able to explore it go on that journey to learn more about yourself and what you want from it and then actually engage and build a community around it it's not easy where you are criminalized where just like kind of the mere fact of being with another person is criminalized let alone having the the state of mind and having the safe space to explore, to explore a kink uh, because mm-hmm. also part of exploring a kink is doing it with you know multiple people different times and on different occasions and different ways and really learning what you like and don't like about it and and how you can build on that so a lack of space is a lack of opportunity to do that uh, for me personally it was not something that 
at the time was my top priority. I mm-hmm. knew that I had my kinks. I knew that I had my interests. And um, I would find an opportunity to do any of that, but it was very minimal mm-hmm. because my my priority was somewhere else. Um, my priority was uh, with the work that I was doing and, and the type of community building. And it was, you know, the, the community that I find myself in was not a community that I necessarily intentionally went and, and mm-hmm. got every person within it. It just kind of fell into place given the work that I was doing. So also mm-hmm. I needed to put that line between people that I'm working with versus people that I'm going to be uh, engaging with sexually or on different things. Um, which, which is a major issue even in my side of things where where the aspect of especially providing therapy to other LGBT comes that question is, where is that going to come into play? And yet that never seems to be a thought that comes up as much when we're dealing with the heterosexual world too, as well, that we need that space to be able to decompress from everything that we hear and help people go through. But that need from that boundary is there and the need that we're still connected to these desires. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're totally right. And, and you know, I don't want to judge anyone. I think every person have their own. They need to make their own decision for what works for them. Mm-hmm. For me, it, that was where the line that I put. I had a partner in Lebanon, and at one point we opened up our relationship. But also, we kind of made that decision that let's engage with other people when we travel. Mm-hmm. And we used to travel a lot uh, because we were both working in the field. We used to travel often, mm-hmm. for, probably like once a month. So mm-hmm. let's play when we're away in the mm-hmm. different countries. But when we're back in, in Lebanon, in Beirut, let's try not to engage as much because we're probably, that person is probably going to walk into the center where I work the next day to ask for maybe a, a, some help like on a psychological level or for fear mm-hmm. or for... So I, I just didn't want it to muddy the water, especially, I mean, I could, because it's a two people thing, right? Like I mm-hmm. can control myself, I can control what I say and I can be as professional as I want to, but I cannot force others to behave the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I moved here to the U.S. and I started being more open about my King journey and my post on Facebook or Instagram being more explicit that, the, the funny thing was, I would just, especially the first, I would say, few months of me doing that, I was getting endless messages from people from the MENA region. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, some of them I knew. Some of them I didn't. Some of them are activists. Some of them are not. But I was getting these messages about people opening up to me about their kink. Uh, I was like, oh, you like this? I like that one. But I never got the chance to explore it. But And they felt comfortable talking to me about it just from the fact that I was open. Um, and they felt that that's a safe space. And those direct messages, they mm-hmm. were just telling me about their journeys and asking me questions. And uh, so that really tells me there's a big desire for a community and not just mm-hmm. for someone to explore their king individually. They, there is a need there. And I'm always thinking like, is there something that I can do from where I am to help mm-hmm. foster that? And I haven't gotten the answer yet, but I'll keep thinking about it because I think it's a need. What I got, mm-hmm. not just, I'm not talking sexually, what I got like personally, emotionally, intellectually mm-hmm. from my Onyx brothers and from the King community here in San Francisco is invaluable to my mm-hmm. growth as a human being, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it extends outside of the realm of like kink or sex. Um, so I think any chance for someone 
to learn a new thing about themselves and their community, they would go, they should go for it. And kink is definitely one of those. Well, especially going back to that key thing we were talking about in the first half, which was about community and that sense yep. of community, which comes with that sense of interpersonal relationships with each other. Yes. So gl- glad, glad in your experiences and through our pledge process and as we go forward has been able to provide a bunch of that. Definitely. I, w- I mean, I was, I, w- I was overjoyed when I got accepted to be a pledge and I was like, that's amazing. And I was really committed heart and soul into the process to, to learn as much as I can and to meet, to, to, to meet the people and to bond with the people that would eventually become my brothers once I became a full member. And, and, and right now I do recognize that the community that I have with my Onyx brothers is, mm-hmm. is the main community that I have no doubt that whatever mm-hmm. happens in my life, those people are going to be there for me. And that's, that feeling is, is amazing. Um, and I, I wish it on anyone. Well, and too bad you couldn't make it to Blackout this year, but hopefully you'll make it to our next one. <laughs> yes, I definitely want to make it to the next one. And just for those wondering, Blackout is our is Onyx's convention that happens every two years. So we just had one in Fort Lauderdale this year. So we're waiting to find out where we're going to be in uh, 2020, 2024. Yes, 2024. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think is one of the things that would be helpful for people to feel more comfortable starting out in kink, especially with a Middle Eastern background. Yes. I mean, um, so people, you know, I, for me, some of the kinks that right now I'm interested in, mm-hmm. some of them I've had an inclination or maybe a desire somewhere in my mind, like, Oh, I would like to try that one day. Or I think that's hot. And I would like then go and try to, you know, learn or engage but there are things that I never thought I would enjoy, but I found myself in a mm-hmm. place where it's, it was either being, uh, you know, demonstrated in front of me or someone mentioned it and it just clicked in my mind. Mm-hmm. So one of, one of the first advice is like, don't rule anything out until mm-hmm. you learn a bit more about it. Now, the second thing, which is um, an advice from um, our current Onyx chapter president, <laughs> Grayland. Uh, he told me once that whenever you want to try a new king, start with the best. Uh, mm. Because that really would influence your experience and how much you would enjoy it or not, the person that you're doing it with. Uh, choose someone who's really good at it. Choose the best at it where you are and just go for it, go to them and ask them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my experience has been in general that people in the king community are very open and very generous in their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they don't they don't they don't put their knowledge behind closed doors. They're happy to share and they're happy to teach. Uh, so my advice would be just find the best and and go for it. Uh, some of it you can read about, some of it you could watch things on, but mm-hmm. uh, at one point you have to start experiencing experiencing it yourself. Uh, and just be open to everything and try everything more than once. Uh, mm-hmm. And really try to read more about, you know, the importance of communication and consent mm-hmm. with a king, because that also could influence your journey. And that could either, you know, create a really great community around you, or you could be alienated if you're, if you're someone who, 
you know, to not abide by, by, by consent and, and by being openly communicating with others. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. those are very important in kink. And kink, you, in kink people, in, in the majority of kinks, people become very vulnerable. Uh, mm-hmm. They put down their walls. They surrender power. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of power dynamics. So it's a very big responsibility. And when someone does that, you have to take care of <laughs> You have to take care of them. Um, oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because I think one of the other areas to that is a lot of people don't understand what actually makes up communication. They believe they do, but there's a lot more, a lot more bits and pieces of it that come together to allow for not just the words and understanding that is coming out of each of our mouths, but for that interpersonal relationship. And as you said, the vulnerability as you approach that power dynamics, there are ways that through kink, people find healing that could not happen in the quote unquote standard regular world because of the power dynamics that are get applied, getting applied there. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I've, I personally had a lot of people coming to me and, uh, you know, explaining how much they are control freaks in their regular, uh, regular life and, and jobs and they're very either senior and all of that stuff and how they want to experience surrendering some of that control. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come to me because I do rope bondage, shibari, uh, and they want to experience it through rope bondage. Uh, mm-hmm. bec- and and one, one thing that I really love about rope bondage, I mean, you could definitely make it you know, very sexual and very sexy and very erotic. Mm-hmm. But also, there's a lot that can be done with rope bondage that doesn't touch on sex or genitals or orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can do a lot. There's a lot of physical sensations and, and mental state that you get into mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. experience through bondage that it's not necessarily directly related to uh, to uh, orgasm or, or sexual stimulation. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when someone gives you that much control, you have to really be respectful of that. You have to understand the importance of it. Uh, and uh, and also that person have the responsibility to properly communicate what they want, what they don't want in their boundaries. Mm-hmm. Within, you know, within within flirting and 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 that's kind of social playground and, and sexual playground, people tend to, you know, people can play games and can you know, drop hints and wink mm-hmm. here. And they don't have to all the time be like 100%, you know, open about everything that they want from you. If you're in a bar, mm-hmm. someone's sitting on you, it's a little fun game. It's fun. But mm-hmm. with kink, people need to be very clear about what they want and what are their boundaries. And, be, you know, they cannot say, oh, oh, I can handle that. It's fine. And not express if they're not feeling good in a seat or, or feeling shy about saying exactly what they want or how much they want to push it. And that, Actually, you know, that's going to result in them having a, a less of experience, not to say a negative one, uh, but they're going to have a less experience if they're not fully open and mm-hmm. honest. And so you really learn how to communicate. And then you go, you know, that that type of thing, you know, you learn it and then it reflects on all of all facets of your life. Mm-hmm. You learn how to communicate more with your partners. You know how to communicate with your friends, with your colleagues, with your family. So you, there's a lot. To be learned from really going on a kink journey and uh, and that's also part of how we build community is when we can feel and a community is a place where we can feel vulnerable and safe in yes 100%. but if it's not communicated correctly yeah you feel yeah. isolated you feel not like you're a part of it that's true 
And you can feel that even in the community you grew up in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, with time you get to, you know, and people get, I mean, even if you're not at the time putting a lot of focus and attention into understanding someone or, or telling if they're telling the truth, I mean, that's with time, you know, mm-hmm. as they say, you know, you know, your true colors will show and, and, and the more honest and open you are within your community, the, the more you bond with that community and, and you become more of a unit. Um, mm-hmm. and those who cannot do that you you know spontaneously see them drifting out and drifting away and mm-hmm. they're no longer part of that community mm-hmm. all right so i think we're at a good point now for that classic question i ask many people is the myths and realities around mental health and I'm curious for from your view, both uh, as your hair for your ancestry and with your travel experience in the communities you're working with, what are some of the myths about mental health, and how can what what do we need to know to dispel and bring the realities around that? Yeah, I mean that that question takes me back to when I was studying psychology back in Lebanon, and I remember. Uh, I mean, while while the the field has been there for a while, I think. Uh, at least in Lebanon and a lot of the countries where I go, it's been pretty recent how much people can comfortably say, I go to a therapist or I need support for mental health. Um, there's a lot of shame and taboo around that assumption. Mm-hmm. It always has been. But I remember when I first started psych- you know, studying psychology, uh, one of the first questions that people would be like, Oh hey, what do you do? You know, I'm meeting new people or friends of friends, and and the minute they learn I study psychology, it's like, oh, you know, what do you think about me? Tell me what do you got from me? And it's like, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not as like a, I'm not a, I don't have a crystal ball that I'm looking into. <laughs> into. Um, and psychology is not just that. It's not that. It's not about me looking at you and just like giving you a list of of who you are and and. You mm-hmm. and uh, I do see it as a very deep conversation that happens. Uh, between people and 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 your therapist might learn a lot about you, but there are sometimes also you might learn things about yourself that your therapist doesn't know uh, right. because you are learning about yourself and and you're you're leaving that session and going home and 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 you're reflecting if you're doing that job and that exercise and you're learning more about yourself and you might express it to your therapist the next time or not, but um, it's something that you've learned um, and you know coming from country and a region that was predominantly led by religious thinking and the way they approach life a lot of Mm -hmm. times you know when people are dealing with these issues with mental health issues the first thing they go to is religion and their friends and i'm not saying that's necessarily a, a bad thing in a way that i think if you have something that can give you any type of emotional relief then that Mm -hmm. works for you right Mm -hmm. like that's your mechanism of dealing with that that but uh, not on the, but you know, you cannot deny the importance of science and, and what people, uh, what's what psychology and psychotherapy can offer you mm-hmm. from that perspective. Uh, but um, and you know, also I mentioned in early on when we were talking when I was at the monastery, you know, I was interested right. in exorcism and how exorcists needed to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, at the heart of this, I, I mean, there's nothing more theological than talking about someone being possessed by a demon, right? right. Like that's, that's, you know, 
way, way deep into religion and theology. And even there, they they mm-hmm. are telling you make sure it's not a psycho- it's not a psychological thing. Um, but people tend to like really um, kind of not believe that much in the importance of, of psychotherapy as a science itself. Um, and another thing is, I mean, the, the shame, the shame around it is very big and uh, no one, very few would hesitate if, if there's any type of, a, of physical ailment to go see a doctor. And that's how mm-hmm. I would always tell people, I mean, it's the same, you know, mm-hmm. if you broke your hand, you go to a doctor and, mm-hmm. and, and if, if you broke your heart, you could also go to a doctor uh, yeah. and, you know, they will help you heal. You still have to do the healing on your own. Your body still have to do the healing. You still have to do something. You might do rehabilitation if it's physical. So also if it's mental, you might need to do some work on your own to get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's look at it the same uh, and remove the shame around it. Uh, and and that have I've seen it not just in Lebanon or the MENA region. I've seen it around the world when I've traveled to different countries, the way they look at, at psychology and psychotherapy the same, but it's definitely changing and the newer generation is more accepting and the more people are opening up about about their journey with mental health and their journey with seeking seeking help mm-hmm. um, we are seeing uh, we are seeing a change um, so we hope that that continues um, and mental health will win uh, uh, our community yeah, uh, that it's actually given, given more, I don't, I don't think respect's the right word, that it is something that everyone actually needs. And not all at the exact same moments in time, but that, that it is needed throughout life because there's so many different things that will overwhelm, that can be new and new and different to a way that you don't know how to deal with them. And you find that part of yourself. Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, a lot of the times, putting aside if there's a need for medication, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the things that psychology calls for sometimes in treatment and in healing are things that we know as human beings that are there for a long time. Mm-hmm. A walk in nature, uh, mm-hmm. playing sports, spending quality time with loved ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are things that are healing in psychology as much as they are in humanity from from day one, we know about, mm-hmm. uh, and I think making it more as part of your life and part of your journey, just seeking support for your mental health and understanding yourself and when when you need that support and when you can you can make it on your own and and that support could be at multiple levels. It doesn't always has to be an intensive, you know, twice a week mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. It could also, it's, it's just this mindfulness and this reflection that if you can bring it into your life. And really reflect on why you do things and, and the effect of things on you and 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 try to identify patterns that mm-hmm. would you know that you have in your life and how they get a, a specific reaction from you, whether it's a positive or a bad reaction and, and your coping mechanism, just understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope everyone can take that to heart and we'll be able to explore that when they're meeting on new people, but especially meeting anyone from the Middle East and North Africa, that experience is going on just as equally for them. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, one thing I would say, maybe, I don't want to say unique because I cannot assume to know the experiences of other people, but just to talk about Lebanon, I mean, Lebanon as a country historically has been colonized, just like 
so many times. I mean, it's one of the oldest countries that are mentioned in the books, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Biblos in Lebanon is probably one of the most continuously inhabited cities in the world uh, mm -hmm. that has been there and has people living in it since, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> since the early days. Because a lot of the early early civilization were in that region. Right. Um, and there's, you know, we inherited a lot of collective trauma from our ancestors. Ah, and, now there's uh, something that's not talked often about. Yeah. The generational and, trauma. Exactly. And we inherited all of that, but we've also went through it ourselves. I mean, I was born in, in, in 85, and, and that was, you know, at the heart of the civil war that was happening mm -hmm. in Lebanon. And um, I might not remember much about it, but I definitely deal with the consequences of it. Hmm. The consequences of it on my parents, on my friends, on my city, on my, you know, on my country in general, and mm -hmm. the political consequences that we're still dealing with till now, and all the decisions that were made. And then since then, we've dealt with a lot of, you know, um, political unrest and, and social and civil unrest that was happening in the country. And, uh, you know, recently we had a big explosion that happened in Beirut. Mm -hmm. uh, the that green really shook, yeah, that shook the whole country, and then the economic collapse. So it's like there's definitely a level, a deep level of trauma that no one has been dealing with, and no one mm -hmm. knows how to deal with. And I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, there's definitely that helps with resilience, mm -hmm. and I, I I can recognize how resilient um, everyone is, but also it just it's, it definitely have some some things that like some negative consequences that are not mm -hmm. rooted in every person. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think, um, you know, that's why one of the things that I've done and you mentioned it in the bio is I've, I've, I was engaged a little bit in drama therapy and drama mm -hmm. therapy really helps, helps with that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it really helps with, with healing some of that generational and, and collective trauma mm -hmm. uh, because you get to play some of those things in front of you and, and, and react with that reality that is in your mind or that you've heard about it. Or that you, know, you want to have different. Exactly. And you want a different outcome of it. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I would say about, about Lebanon and the MENA region, just that, that long history of unrest and not just political, just, you know, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. you know, these are all civilizations that have generation after generation dealt with mm -hmm. obstacles, dealt with wars, dealt, mm -hmm. and you know, since nine eleven, the whole region right. dealt just with racism. On top of that, right. uh, so it's like never-ending hits, and and people still standing and still doing their thing. And there's a lot of respect for how resilient everyone is. Right. Well, resiliency and coping is part of the part of the process, but it's not an end-all goal. It's not something that is supposed to be done in perpetuity. Yeah, there's a point where you have to actually stop and move away from those things to actually deal with healing, even if you have to go back into it. And that's, uh, again, one of those notions that you can cope and resilience your way throughout everything forever. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> it's going to catch up to you. Yeah, things <laughs> will break down. Things broke. <laughs> I mean, just to bring into that physical sense, that grain silo blowing up those circumstances Somebody was trying to resil and cope for as long as they could, and eventually it blew. 
yep, just to exactly. use it as a metaphor for the reality of it. And no, that can't happen. We can't have it. That will happen. And it does happen when we deal with people's mental health and it can be much more destructive than just, or it can, well, it can be destructive anyway. Yeah. I mean, we do even the, the words that we use, right? Like it's a coping mechanism. It's not a solution. Exactly. It's not the end of the story. It's I'm coping till I find a solution, but the solution mm-hmm. needs to be found. And that solution may ultimately be a complete different reaction or existence than what you've been living. Yes. So it's, are you willing to now go with that other existence which I think for many of us coming out and accepting who we are was one of those things of finding peace finally. Yeah, finding our own truth and then being able to deal with the other truth in our life and in the world around us. Exactly. So where can folks find you if they want to continue to learn more and even support your work? Well, um, I mentioned the website before for the organization where I work. I can mention mm-hmm. it again. It's uh, www.impactglobal.org. Impact is M-P-A-C-T. Uh, and then I am personally, I mean, on, on Facebook, if people want to reach out, I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, it's Johnny Tome, T-O-H-M-E. Um, I'm very happy to, to connect with people there. Uh, the same on Instagram. On Instagram, it's more for, I use it more for community and bondage and king. Mm-hmm. So, so. people want to connect there. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for that, that's a place to yeah. go. Otherwise, the rest of the stuff, you know where to find them. Exactly. exactly. All right. Well, I want to thank you again for uh, being on here and share and being willing to be sure of this. And uh, look forward to our next Onyx outing as well. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great discussion. And, you know, maybe we'll have another one in the future. Oh, well, I got to figure out what I'm going to do for June, too. So, <laughs> all righty. So, be well. And uh, right now we're recording this just before Christmas here. But uh, obviously, you'll be hearing this in March. So, hopefully, you guys have a great spring and a start of the seasonal new year as we head into summer. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.